you hear us through your AirPods or see us on your laptop, how about meeting us in real life? Because we're taking Queer Money on the road this summer and fall. Visit QueerMoneyPodcast.com forward slash tour or the link in your podcast player to find out when we'll be in your neighborhood. Since the mid-70s until today, real wages indexed to inflation have only increased about 10%. Not annually, that's 10% total in 50 years. What else has stayed so low? As with the recovery from the housing crisis and the Great Recession, post-COVID consumers are now taking on more and more debt of all kinds. Then there's the Great Resignation. (laughs) Americans are leaving garbage jobs with garbage salaries and declining offers for garbage jobs with garbage salaries. (laughs) Combined, all of this has us a little bit concerned. Right. But fortunately for you, you're listening to Queer Money or maybe watching Queer Money episode 289. And today we're going to be talking about these concerns and sharing with you six ways to weather this current economic situation. Remember, we make the Queer Money podcast for you. So please post your money questions if you have them in the Queer Money Facebook group, and we may answer them in an upcoming episode. Now, on with this week's show. There's personal finance for the masses. This is not personal finance for the masses. This is Queer Money. Queer Money is made possible by Capital One. Capital One believes that financial well-being includes your mental, physical, and financial health. Check out CapitalOne.com today. Before we dive into the show, I want for all of you, those of you who are watching <laughs> on YouTube to look at how adorable it is that my shirt matches David's hat. It <laughs> actually cute? looks like uh, maybe Tubbs and Crockett from Miami <laughs> Vice because of the colors. You would think it was springtime here in Las Vegas, although it kind of feels like springtime because of the weather. But that in sickness is only a superpower you can have when you've been with the same person for 18 plus years. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> all right. So on to the show. Yeah. Doesn't it feel like it's kind of two 2009, 2010 again? Economically. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it kind of really does feel a little like, or (sighs) thank God that's over. Thank God that's over. But there's a lot of things that have us concerned on the horizon, such as, for example, household debt has risen at its fastest pace since 2013. And that's as of a a Q2 report. So it's a little bit delayed, but that's the most recent data that we have available. But that's a little precarious for a lot of households. Right. It's not that unsurprising, though, especially when you see data like what came out of a Credit Karma survey that talked about how 47%, 47, almost half of millennials that were surveyed in 2020 said that they were spending money they didn't have, which means taking on debt to keep up with their friends. And that's not just buying things. That's also buying experiences, right? We have this whole philosophy today that it's better to buy experiences than it is to buy things. But if you're going into debt, buying experiences, it still hurts you just the same mentally and physically. Exactly. And other areas are looking a little precarious as well. Q2 auto debt uh, was up. Mortgage debt, not surprised to anybody, year over year is up. Right. The housing market is probably part of the Boom. driver of that, right? Yeah. Student loan debt is also up, which uh, makes some sense with what we just dealt with with the pandemic. Right. It, you know, and what I find so interesting about this statistic is that it seems like there's this movement for folks, especially when you lose a job or you're furloughed or you're having difficulty financially to go back to school to get more education. And I'm worried that a lot of folks are doing this, going back and getting these higher degrees, but they aren't necessarily guaranteed that that education is going to be able to pay for itself. I think of yeah. individuals in certain sectors that, yeah, 
it's not, it, it kind of makes sense, right? If you're a doctor and you're going to go back to school for a specific a specialty, it's highly likely you're going to be able to charge more for the services you provide. But I think about individuals in some, some of the social services going and getting masters or PhDs, and they're not really seeing a huge increase in their salaries or the upward potential that a lot of other fields are. Not that I'm saying that it's wrong to do that, but I'm just encouraging individuals when it comes to education, especially right now to exercise some caution. Yeah. I think we need to sort of break ourselves of the conditioning that more education is commensurate with more money. And that very often doesn't happen anymore. At one point in time, that that maybe did make sense, um, but that doesn't, we know a lot of people who have master's degrees. We, we connect with a lot of people who have advanced educations and they either don't have jobs, don't have jobs in the industry that they are educated for, uh, or they're working service and retail, and it's not getting paid enough to be able to pay off their student loans. So we need to be a little bit more judicious about the amount of student loans we take on and not always assuming that when I've been let go from a job, okay, the the logical step for me is automatically to go back to school, take on more debt. And then when all of this badness is over, I'll make a commensurate salary, just not really paying off for most people. Right. There was one bright spot uh, earlier in the year, and that is that credit card debt is down year over year. But (laughs) <laughs> yeah, so that's after a record-setting reduction in 2020 um, because of COVID. But right, we credit- didn't have we didn't have a whole lot to spend on. Right, uh, we couldn't go out and do a lot of the things that we would normally do and spend money on. So people were putting that money towards their debt. But, which is good, but debt is now increasing again. And we tacked on for as a country, 45.7 billion in credit card debt in Q2. That is crazy. Um, the other thing that has us concerned is that consumers are now expected to spend 25% more this holiday season than they did in 2020. Right. Um, which so- I, I don't understand wh- <laughs> what they're going to be spending on with all the supply chain issues that are going on right now. It would seem to me like they wouldn't be able to. I did a poll in Twitter the other day asking how many people would be okay with getting a recycled, upcycled, or regifted item for Christmas. And it was kind of, I was kind of surprised. It was like 88% of folks said that they would be okay with getting an upcycled or recycled gift this year. <laughs> so <laughs> maybe, maybe a way for you to save some money. <laughs> so we're also we've been talking about the great resignation, which by and large, we are in support of. We think it's a great way. It's a long arc, but it's a great way to improve jobs and increase wages, right? Telling employers that we're not going to take crappy jobs with crappy salaries. You got to improve conditions and improve wages. That's wonderful. But if you couple that with all the debt that we're taking on, it's kind of making, it's not letting us be as strong as we need to be to be able to hold that argument, to be able to take that stand. Because at some point, the bills are going to rack up, especially that credit card debt. Uh, and at some point, you're, many people are going to be forced to go back to a job that they may not want or, or conditions that they may not want. So um, we're excited about the great resignation, but um, we got to be wise about it. And assuming all this debt weakens our power. Yeah. So that's why, in addition to the great resignation, <laughs> David and I are advocating we're for, championing the for this great debt reduction. <laughs> yes. How about that? Let's make that a thing. So reduce financial anxiety, get ourselves off that hamster wheel of the debt depression spiral and fight inflation. A great way to fight inflation is to decrease demand for products and services. Now, there are obviously other factors into play right now, but our involvement in increasing or decreasing demand is the one tool that we do have. So let's use that and not, and, and maybe we do re-gift some things or we do re-upcycle or recycle some gifts this year so that we can decrease that inflation to the extent that we have the power to do so. 
right? So we wanted to share with you um, some tips on how to better manage your money. So what we have today is we're going to talk about six ways that you can better manage your money. And all of these are tools that John and I have used. We see other people in the personal finance space using as a way to maybe kind of ease the pressures of what's going on in the, in the economy right now. Some of them are actually pretty specific to our community though. Absolutely. All right. So our very first one, getting on that bandwagon of paying off debt is to quit being part of the spending and leveraging classes. So there are, we, John and I believe there are basically four financial classes and the first two, the ones at the bottom are spenders and leveragers. Now spenders are individuals who spend every single penny they have. They have little or no emergency savings. I mean, they may not also have much access to credit, right? So I think a lot of times these are individuals who don't have a lot of credit history. Maybe they're younger, their first jobs. They don't have access to a lot of credit. And for that reason, they don't have the ability to overspend a whole lot that more than what they are making, but they are also spending every single penny that they have, which means that their money is, they don't have the potential to grow, right? And really this is kind of emphasized by a Capital One survey. On their survey, they did a, a financial well-being survey during the pandemic or actually shortly after the pandemic. And one of the things that that survey showed is that 41% of individuals felt like impulse buys and 44% of individuals said that buying unnecessary items are the two financial habits that they would like to change about themselves, which really kind of highlights this is a lot of folks who are probably in this spending class they probably have those two factors going on in their life. Yeah, the, the epitome of living paycheck to paycheck. So they're the first people who should jump on the great debt reduction bandwagon. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> well, and, and if, if they don't have a whole lot of debt, right? If, they're, if they don't have, haven't been able to leverage themselves, we'll talk about the leg- leverage class, class in just a second, but these are individuals who want to make sure that they don't start to do that. Exactly. So the second part of that group is the leveragers. You want to leave the leveraging class. Leveragers are people who spend more than they make and get into a cycle of uncontrolled borrowing. They're the ones who are typically swiping the credit card year, month after month, paycheck after paycheck. And they oftentimes have the outward portrayal of success, but it's to the detriment of their financial security. And they're very often finding themselves on that debt depression spiral that we want to help get folks off of. So these are the two classes that you definitely want to leave as soon as possible, the spending and the leveraging classes. Right especially the leveraging class, these are individuals who really don't understand the difference between good debt and bad debt. Mm -hmm. And for that reason, they actually end up using bad debt more often than good debt. Uh, And really this kind of keeps them in this even worse than the paycheck to paycheck lifestyle. They're the falling back every, falling further and further behind every single paycheck, every single month, every single year. So if you feel like you're in that spot, if you're falling behind every single paycheck, every single month, every single year, you may want to check to see if you're part of the leveraging class or the spending class. Yeah. They're typically people who use the words like everybody has debt or debt is a way of life, or um, I've got to work until I die because I've got so much debt. Um, Those are the type of sentences that you'll hear these folks say. So we want to help these people move into the next two classes, which David and I consider the uh, higher, higher up on the hierarchy. Tip number two is to join the saving (laughs) and the investing class. The first of those is the saving class. So 
Savers are those who are judicious about every penny they spend. Um, they're the people more often than not that you'll see are window shopping, but very often don't have bags in their hands because they've got more money in their wallet. <laughs> they're skeptical of or can't afford to invest in the stock market quite yet. They might not necessarily have the liquidity yet to start investing in the stock market, or they're kind of hesitant to do so for a number of reasons. Capital One, part of their financial well-being survey, they also found that nearly half, 48% of respondents to that survey say the pandemic has changed their perception of what is necessary for a rainy day fund. It went from pre-pandemic of five months to post-pandemic of six months. And we think this is great. We highly suggest you have at least three to six months worth of emergency savings uh, in case anything precarious happens to your situation. For some folks, uh, those who are in more marginalized communities or who uh, are more apt to uh, being prejudiced against, uh, maybe consider having even more than six months worth of emergency savings if if that's even a possibility. Um, But the more that you have in emergency savings, the more protection you have, unlike what we were talking about before, that gives you that kind of gives you that FU fund that people have talked about before, right? So if you're if you have a bad boss or you have bad wages, you know, you've got that liquidity to say to your boss, I'm out of here. I don't need to put up with this anymore, but then you're not putting yourself into a scary situation. It gives you more leverage to be able to architect the type of lifestyle that you want. Right. One of the unfortunate things though, about individuals in the saviors class is that they're really just putting their money into a savings account. They're setting aside the money, which is good. It's important to do that but they're not getting that money to work for them. They're not moving up to the top of the hierarchy here. And that is the investor class. Great segue there, right. David. <laughs> so the, the, the fourth class is in the, the investor class. And these are people who work hard for their money. Then they turn around and figure out how to make that money work hard for them. Right? These are the individuals who you we see slowly, progressively getting ahead, further and further ahead in life, because not only are they working for their money, but their money is working for them. So it's almost like they have their money as their side hustle, right? So these are individuals who most likely know really well the difference between good debt and bad debt are employing good debt much more of the time. There are individuals who have the stellar credit scores. So when they do employ that good debt, it's costing them a lot less than it would be individuals with poor credit scores to employ that good debt. And so these are individuals who really understand the value of their money and how that money can go to work for them. So if you want to learn a little bit more about the investor saving, spending, and leveraging classes, check out Queer Money episode 227, where we really kind of broke these classes down a little bit. Exactly. Tip number three here is to believe that you're financially independent. So we're going into the quantum physics law of attraction <laughs> realm here, but it's so true. So many people have already ha- always say, whether they, they, they believe in the law of attraction or all that or not, that what we focus on expands, right? If we think that we're not worthy to earn enough money or that we're always going to be broke or that money is evil. If you have that kind of dialogue going on in our head, we're always going to be struggling financially. So a very powerful way to change your financial situation and to manage your money better, um, especially during these precarious times, is to just trust that you know that you are financially independent, know that the riches are available to you, that you can have as much abundance as you want in your life. Um, This for a lot of LGBTQ folks is challenging. Um, We've talked a lot on this show about uh, many of us who 
get into adulthood with limiting beliefs about who we are and what we're worth and, and what we're able to earn. So you've got to flip that on its head and start changing that by adopting behaviors and practices to help us think in a more abundant way. We dove pretty deeply into this topic with Matthew Raymond when we talked about poverty mindset within the LGBTQ community on episode 275 of the Queer Money Podcast. So check that episode out. He gave some great advice on having to flip that on its head because he also sees this as a challenge that many in the LGBTQ community face and we need to flip that around. Right. I think what we really ended up talking about there as well in other episodes is this idea of having a money story that you carry with you. If you want to find out more about the sources of your money story, check out our Queer Money follow-up video. Uh, So it's the three sources of your bizarre money stories. If you're listening, there will be a link for that in the podcast player. If you're watching us on YouTube, then that will be in the description below so you can check out that video. All right, number four, tip number four here is to bank smarter. We're going to go back a little bit in time, and you may have heard us talk if about I could this. Turn <laughs> back <laughs> time. I, had to I know you did. Like half the people listening to this episode had that going on in their head anyway. Oh. <laughs> so, anyway, going back a little bit in time, I think to around 2018, there was a survey that Prudential did, and they found they did a segment of the survey that looked at individuals who were in the LGBT community. And what they found is that roughly 50% of the LGBT respondents did not have a single banking product. So this whole idea of banking smarter, well, the first step is you have to be banked. And unfortunately, when it comes to not being banked, a lot of folks think of individuals in minority communities, right? Well, we're living up to that name uh, when it comes to the banking. When the survey shows showed that um, 50% of LGBT individuals did not have a single banking product compared to 66% of the general population having two, which means that we just are not using the tools that are available to us that can help us be better prepared and use our finances properly. Uh, When we are using the tools that are available to us, such as banking, we actually end up paying less for things that we purchase or the money that we receive. I always like to say this is, it's kind of similar to trying to build a house with a pair of scissors versus a hammer. You're just not going to get very far if all you have is a pair of scissors. So start using the tools that you have available available to you. If you're not banked, get banked. And a great place to get banked is at our sponsor, Capital One with their Capital One 360 account. Uh, Capital One 360 accounts are easy to open in minutes online. There are no minimums or fees for checking or savings accounts. Uh, They have one of the best rates available. And best of all, Capital One supports the LGBTQ community all year round as evidenced by this particular podcast, not just in Pride. And they do that a myriad of ways. So uh, we definitely want to support the institutions that are supporting us. So we encourage you, if you're looking for a bank, to consider Capital One. Tip number five is to vote smarter, especially in off elections, right? I think a lot of us sort of fall asleep at the wheel when there is a Democrat who's president. And, not at uh, the wheel. <laughs> We're not in control, in that in control. <laughs> no, but I, I think a lot of us check out. We feel a little bit safe. And right, we, Biden has made a lot of, uh, has done a lot for the LGBTQ community in his first several months in office. But that, but we know that a lot of the fight has uh, transitioned down to the state level, right? So a lot of the community is being attacked closer to home. Uh, as we've seen evidence with uh, you know laws that are taking place are changing in Texas and Alabama, so we've got to be a little bit more vigilant, especially during 
out of primary cycle elections. We've got to make sure that we're voting in local elections, paying attention to the statutes and amendments that are taking place at the local level. Um, and then we also need to remember that some of the advancements that Biden has made for the LGBTQ community have only been made through executive order. So right. um, same as he did with uh, uh, writing that into law, or I guess not law, writing that Proving that with his signature, the next president could could take that away for a lot of LGBTQ folks. And I'm thinking specifically about workplace protections uh, for LGBTQ people, as well as, uh, you know, for example, uh, trans people in the military. That's allowed now. But who's to say that if the next president uh, comes into office and is Republican, they're not going to change that. And all of this has a direct effect on our financial security, right? We can't, without the appropriate protections, with having the ability to be able to serve and not serve in the military, um, that makes it harder for us to plan financially and have a long-term financial security, um, let alone financial security in the moment. So just be extra vigilant with your voting every opportunity that you get. All right. Then point number six, our final point here. We're going to loop it right back to the beginning, and that is to focus on reducing your debt. Stop overspending. Stop overextending yourself. Stop overconsuming. All of this is getting you on that hamster wheel of just having to keep going harder and harder to try and earn more and more. If we can reduce our debt, our lives end up costing us less money. right? And one of the easiest ways to do this is to do a spending analysis and actually take a look at where you're spending your money. What's interesting about when you do a spending analysis is you really see what categories that you're overspending in. And sometimes, and what we have found with the individuals we work with is that usually it's just a couple of categories where individuals, if they made some minor tweaks, would be able to stay on budget. And I think that's the other important thing is, is it doesn't matter how many spending analysis you do. If you don't try to then use that information to create a budget to stick to, then you're going to have some issues, right? You're going to continue to overspend. Yeah, I think for most people, it only takes two or three minor changes in their daily habits with their finances to be on the path to financial security. It's very often not actually that hard, but many of us think it's harder than it actually is. Right. So get to the point where you can start paying off that high interest credit card debt, really kind of drive that debt down. And if you need some assistance with this, Go ahead and click the link in the profile, or if you're watching on YouTube, there's a link in the comments below where you can get our seven-step credit card debt slasher tool, where we walk you through some of the steps that will help you get to that point where you can start paying your debt off. So these are our six tips to manage your money better and reduce uh, present financial risk, as well as those that David and I are seeing on the horizon. So now stay tuned for your crew money takeaway from this episode. Make sure to check out more ways that Capital One can help you achieve financial well-being at CapitalOne.com. That's CapitalOne.com. Thank you again for listening to another episode of the Queer Money Podcast. Here's your Queer Money takeaway from this episode. Warren Buffett is famous for saying, be fearful when others are greedy and be greedy when others are fearful. And really what he was getting at is looking around and seeing what's going on in the economic situation, exercising caution, and taking advantage of the opportunities that you can. With the upswing and non-revolving debt, especially, it seems like a lot of folks are being really optimistic, maybe even too optimistic. Join us in being cautious. Then speaking of Warren Buffett, history's greatest investor, look out for next week's episode when we talk about stock investing as part of our ongoing investing series to help more LGBTQ people reach financial independence and early retirement. Fire, fire, fire. (laughs) We make the Queer Money Podcast for you, so please post your money questions in the Queer Money Facebook group, and we may answer your question in an upcoming episode. Thank you, and we'll see you next week. From Los Angeles, California to Winooski, Vermont, we're taking Queer Money on the road. 
Join us as we gamify personal finance with Queer Money Bingo or catch our signature Live Fabulously, Not Fabulously Broke Talk and so much more in between. Check out QueerMoneyPodcast.com forward slash tour or the link in your podcast player regularly for date and location updates.